Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, y'all. I'm Don Jonkowski, and I'm one of the leaders here at Mosaic Church. Normally, you're going to see me behind a piano with a different kind of mic, but this morning, I'm honored to share the conclusion of our Summer Love series. So whether you're joining us live or on a screen, hey, like me, we're so glad that you're here. I want to share with you this morning one of the activities that I dislike most in the world. Moving. Now, I have yet to meet anybody who actually likes the entire process of packing up your whole house into boxes, putting it into a truck, transporting it wherever your new place is, hauling all the boxes back out, and then unpacking them all. And if you do like that, I really need you to come talk to me because, y'all, I do not understand. Now, since marrying Nick in 2016, I have moved four times, the most recent of which is September of 2021. If you're any good at math, that's four times in under five years. And we've discovered some of the differences in how we like to prepare for a move. On one side, we have Nick, who likes to start packing boxes the instant he has an inkling that we might be moving. This could be anywhere from two to six months before we actually have to relocate. By the time moving day rolls around, All that he has left out in the world is a change of clothes, his toothbrush, and the TV. Me, on the other hand, not so much. I look at the volume of stuff I have to pack. And if you've ever seen my closet, you probably understand. And I get so overwhelmed by everything all at once that I can't even get started. Which, of course, means I procrastinate, which makes it even worse. After not more than one tearful breakdown on my part, very moving, we've started to learn how to navigate the way my brain processes overwhelming tasks. For instance, break them into something small and achievable. So Nick tells me, just pack two to three boxes every day. Two to three boxes, I can do that. Sometimes you hit a groove and you keep going. And before you know it, you've packed five whole boxes of shoes. Okay, so maybe I'm the only one who packs five boxes of just shoes. Other times I've packed just just the two or the three. And that's it. I'm done. But I still did something. And we got one step closer 
to being packed and ready to move. That feeling of being overwhelmed and not knowing where to start. It doesn't just happen when I'm moving. It happens with other experiences in life, too, and it happens in my faith walk. You know that command where God tells us to love everyone? Uh, everyone? Everyone? God? That, that, that's like a lot of people, and I'm just one person. What can I possibly do in a world full of so many people who need so much love? Where do I even start? More than that, what exactly is God asking me to do when he says, love everybody? I'm sure I'm not the only one to ever wonder that, right? Maybe you've scrolled social media and then closed the app in disgust, thinking the world is just too much of a mess for anything to make a difference. Or maybe the sheer volume of opportunities that you could take, volunteering, donating, marching, campaigning, making a meal, sanding drywall, planting a community garden. It's so overwhelming, you can't figure out where to start first. Now, if you've been in a church service for even five minutes of your life, and maybe even if you haven't, you're probably thinking love is the answer. And you're right. But as we've been learning, love is a complex and multifaceted subject. And it, it's further complicated by the way that we think of love as a modern society. I mean, okay, think of how many times you used the word love just this week. I love tacos. I love my dog. I love my husband. I love sleeping in. I love the Chicago Bears. Now, maybe I'm the only one who said that this past week, but still, I love the Chicago Bears. We use the word love so much for so many things that it ends up losing a lot of its meaning, which means we end up wrestling with what it means to truly love hurting and broken people. What does it mean to love a friend whose marriage is on the rocks? What does it mean to love a neighbor who believes something different from us? What does it mean to love a classmate who's struggling in school? Our nebulous understanding of what love means, along with the seemingly endless brokenness of our world and the people in it, leaves us overwhelmed and often frustrated. And all too often, we're overwhelmed by what to do next. We end up doing nothing at all. Maybe it's because we've resigned ourselves to the belief that we just can't make a difference. Or worse, we close our eyes to the pain around us. Now, while both responses are understandable, those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ 
that's neither what we are, neither of which, neither of those things are what we're called to do. Fortunately, we're also not the first people to wrestle with how to love lost and hurting people. Those in Jesus' time struggled too. Let's look at what he told them when they asked what they were supposed to do to start loving a broken and hurting world. Turn with me in your Bibles or your Bible apps to the book of Matthew. Let's see what the Master has to say in chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Listen to how simple that commandment is. Love God. Love others the way you want to be loved. It's the clearest step and accessible to anyone who feels helpless or overwhelmed at the overall state of the world. If you do nothing else, Jesus says, choose to love God and love your neighbor. These two things are the most important things that we can do as his followers. Most important. Notice what he didn't say was most important. He didn't say it was most important to go to church, although that is good for you. He didn't say the most important thing was reading your Bible or praying, although those are also good things. All of those things have value and are beneficial to your walk with God. But the number one priority in our lives, needs to be love. So, okay, love, that sounds great, let's go. But wait, we've, we've just talked about how we casually throw the word love around these days. What does it actually mean to love God and love others? What does that look like? And how do we do that to the glory of God and the benefit of others. To fully understand what Jesus means when he commands us to love God and love others, it helps to understand the context of what Jesus is saying. When he tells the crowd to love God, Jesus is actually quoting a verse from the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Now, this is shortly after Moses delivers the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Hey, that sounds familiar, right? It would have been pretty familiar to the people of Jesus' day, too, because that was the first of three scriptural texts that make up the Shema, the Jewish confession of faith that includes 
Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41. Together with specific prayers, these all form an integral part of the morning and evening services. This command to love would have also been understood very differently by the ancient Jews than for us modern Christians. Today, we often associate love with a feeling, like warm fuzzies or the butterflies in your stomach. You use, as we said, the same word for love when you're referencing tacos, your dog, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your football team. Biblical love, however, is not a passive feeling. It's not strictly emotional, like those warm fuzzies. In the Old Testament, there's references to many kinds of love. Abraham loved Isaac, parental love. Jonathan loved David, a brotherly or friendly love. The king of Persia shows love for Esther, a romantic love. The one the Shema and Jesus are referring to is the love of God, a love that is far from passive. It is the active response of the faithful person to the love of God. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind is to choose to respond to God even as God chooses to love us. Let me say that again. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind is to choose to respond to God even as God chooses to love us. This kind of love is not a feeling. This kind of love is a verb. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He adds on to the commandment from Deuteronomy with another command found in Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. And while loving God is the greatest thing we can do, it's also inseparable from loving your neighbor. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. In 1 John 4.20, we read this exactly. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, if we say we love God and we're all about going to church and reading our Bibles, but we don't love other people whom he also loves, then we're not truly loving God. This commandment to love our neighbors that's found in Leviticus is included in a wider passage that spells out in practical terms what it means to love your neighbor. It includes things like caring for the poor and the foreigners, not cheating coworkers or employees, demanding justice in legal situations, creating community for marginalized people groups, 
and decrying per, uh, partiality of any kind. In short, it expands the understanding of who our neighbor is outside of the person who lives in the house or the apartment next door and includes anyone who is in need. It's about loving others without condition or pretense, the way God loves us. It's not love your neighbor if. It's not love your neighbor when. It's love your neighbor. Full stop. That's it. A simple and profound call to love. The greatest commandment. When we're facing the overwhelming brokenness and heartache in our world, the greatest thing we can do is choose to love God and love others. It's a simple statement that is powerful enough to change the world. This kind of love, it's not a feeling. This kind of love is a verb. I've come across an interesting paradox in my driving. Several times a week, I drive down to Milwaukee for work. Not only am I fighting rush hour traffic, but 94 has been under construction for like the last hundred years. I'm hurtling down the highway, and suddenly I notice that someone is trying to merge into where I'm currently driving. So I do, you know, the very nice Christian thing. I lay on my horn, and I insult their intelligence and their lineage and their general lack of driving skills. Other times, I'm the one trying to merge across traffic on a crowded highway. I'm whipping my head back and forth from my mirrors to my windshield to my blind spot, and I turn on my signal, and I go to move, when all of a sudden, eh, I hear the horn behind me. And, oh, I feel so bad. I just, I start apologizing as if they can hear me from my car. As they pass, I give the puppy dog, I'm sorry, eyes. As they're saying lovely things about my driving skills and my lineage, I'm sure. And I just I sit there and I just wish they'd understand. It was an honest mistake. And I didn't mean to. Don't we? Sometimes wish the other drivers would treat us the way we want to be treated when we make that honest mistake. So shouldn't we start with treating them the way we'd want to be treated? Now, I'm not saying that changing how you drive on 294 is going to change the world. It might improve a few commutes here and there. What I am suggesting is that it's an easy way to understand what loving our neighbor as ourself looks like. Biblical love is loving kindness, merciful action that is both generous and continuous. Loving your neighbor as yourself is to consciously act toward another person as you would act toward those close to you. This kind of love isn't a feeling. This kind of love is a verb. Loving 
the way God calls us to love requires choice and action in every face you see. See yourself in that position too. And suddenly, that's you. You're the kid that nobody wants to sit with at lunch. You're that person who signals too late and then takes three tries to get into the parking spot correctly. Suddenly, you're the barista who made the drink all wrong because you're just having a really bad day. And suddenly, your face is on the colleague who's new and is trying just a little too hard to prove that they belong in that role. And suddenly, that's your face on the person who's holding up the entire grocery line because they're trying to make ends meet. And they're desperately trying to figure out what they can pay for with groceries this week. How would you act toward that person if the face they turned to you was indeed your own? How would you act toward that person if the face they turned to you belonged to Jesus? I get it. Trying to love everyone everywhere, all the time, is overwhelming. Especially when they don't look like us, or act like us, or believe like us. And like having to pack up an entire household to move, it can sometimes be so overwhelming, it's tempting to just put it off and ignore it for one more day. So start with a small step a prayer that you utter the first time you see your own face in the mirror every morning, that God would give you the ability to truly see your neighbors, to look past that obvious outer shell and see the beloved creation of God. Because that is who they are. And that's who you are. When we can see others, like that, the way God does, the way God sees us, it's a lot easier to choose to love them with a love that isn't a feeling, but a verb. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world visit us at mosaicwi.com.